welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. Today's chat was fascinating. My guest, Bryce Wilde, is an encyclopedia of everything around health and everything that we need to optimize our overall health daily. I, I love the detail in which he discusses what supplements we should all be taking from omega-3, vitamin D3, vitamin C, vitamin E, cortisone, suntheanine, and glytine from Continual G for glutathione, amongst others. The show notes and timestamps are at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. And this episode of all the episodes, you may need these and or you might need your own notepad and pen. Just a simply wonderful chat. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and share and please keep their feedback coming on the social media channels. Uh, mine is uh, Instagram, Greg Bennett World, or on Twitter, Greg Bennett One, or you can go to iTunes and give feedback there, um, but I can't get back to you on iTunes, but I do read them and I really appreciate the feedback. Thanks for listening. This one is a wealth of useful knowledge. Enjoy. Before we start, I've got to give a quick shout out to the brands that make this show possible. The only brands I'm working with are brands that provide products that I use daily and truly believe in. These products support my immunity, they help improve my recovery and my focus. First up, my friends at Athletic Greens. I love this company and I love their all-in-one daily drink. It's become a part of my morning routine. I'm heavily focused on supporting my immunity and boosting my energy and, and helping my gut health, but I want to do it naturally. And I found that support with Athletic Greens, a whole food sourced green drink that tastes great and there's no hassle. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's a highly absorbable powder that takes seconds to mix with water so there's no clumpiness to deal with. I can't believe a green drink sourced from Whole Foods can actually taste so good. Personally, I truly love it. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery, probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health, and vitamin C and zinc citrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. And there's a great offer going on now for you to give it a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free tra daily travel packets with your first order. $79 added value. And get Athletic Greens delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This show is also brought to you by my friends at Hyperice. Some of these products I've been using for almost a decade. Makers of the award-winning Hypervolt, the world's most powerful percussion massage device featuring quiet glide technology. Hyperice is a wellness tech company that makes devices designed to help you move better. From handheld massage devices to vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology, and the Normatec compression systems, Hyperice helps you warm up faster, recover quicker, and simply move better. Used in professional training rooms throughout the NBA, the NFL, MLB, the MLS, Ironman, and other professional organizations for well over a decade. Designed to help improve circulation, flexibility, and relieve tension. Get $50 off all percussion devices now. No code needed. And get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com. H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com. And use code GREG10 for 10% off. All right, today's guest is an alternative medicine expert. He's a clinician, television host, educator, author, and philanthropist. His specialty is homeopathy, clinical nutrition, supplementation, and botanical medicine. He 
His focus is rooted within functional medicine. He blends the latest in human biology and genomic screening, science and technology, and uses new, traditional, and ancient remedies. I'm excited to have on the show one of the world's leading alternative health experts. Welcome, and thanks for joining me on Be With Champions. Bryce Wild, how are you, mate? Hey, Greg. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be on the show. Love what you're doing. Love what you've done. Uh, love where this is all going. And uh, once again, I appreciate it. Um, if, if, if I may, just to start off, um, and this just, you know, doesn't quite get under my skin, uh, but it is something that I like to uh, tout and promote. And that is a review of nomenclature. So for so long, you know, I've been revered as the alternative medicine expert, um, but we got to move away from that. And here's why. And I'm still, you know, I, I'm still quite, you know, accepting of the title, but anytime I get a chance, like I'm doing now, uh, I like to start off, you know, a short interview, sort of just reviewing this terminology. So at once, uh, we were to find alternative. You know, this is bringing the East into the West and a whole uh, review of what we've been doing and what we can you know, call conventional medicine in, in the West here uh, by perhaps a blend uh, of traditional Eastern wisdom. And uh, then we were affectionately referred to as complementary alternative experts. Complementary because in many practices, you know, it would complement an existing, uh, pre-existing conventional, quote-unquote, practice using the wisdom, again, of westernized medicine. More recently, though, what we'd like to pick up is uh, this functional medicine term. And really what functional medicine is, is just, you know, the appreciation of the biochemistry, the genetic, uh, the environmental, uh, the, you know, virtual and, uh, you know, as well as uh, non-virtual predispositions of the individual. So, you know, taking all that into consideration and then just using best practice. Mm -hmm. So in my personal clinical practice, you know, there is no time that I'm shy to use conventional wisdom, laboratory analysis, or for that matter, pharmacologics. Um, you know, case in point, we see a lot of Lyme disease cases. I'm not sure, you know, how rampant that is by you, but certainly in the northeastern seaboard here in North America, it's tremendous. And it's a very complex presentation. Um, conventional wisdom, however, approaches this as a two-week doxycycline, uh, and then see you later. Let's follow up in a couple of months. We, however, uh, in a functional medicine practice, would want and encourage the use of these very broad-spectrum antibiotics for many months. And that might sound counterintuitive, like, wait a second, what's the alternative? There isn't. You use very high-dose, broad-spectrum antibiotics, but then you complement it using probiotics, using mm -hmm. those things that we otherwise term as biofilm busters to get right in there to the bacteria that's offending from uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, Lyme tick. So, so, so that's just sort of a broad, very high line overview around, you know, so this new sort of, and think about this for a second, you know, what is alternative? Alternative by definition is use this as sort of an, you know, an, an instead of, or, uh, or, or last, you know, ditch sort of scenario. Whereas we'd like to see this as, you know what, conventional medicine is actually the alternative when good nutrition, exercise, uh, supplementation, and using therapeutic uh, ingredients, when that doesn't work, let's employ the alternative of pharmacopoeia and surgery. So it's this whole review and uh, flip around of this. I love that. You, you know, the first note I have right here in quotes is alternative health or alternative medicine. I'm like, 
that's the first thing I want to discuss. And so you, you actually just went straight at it. And it was the first thing, cause I've got after that, you know, pre- preventative health, functional medicine, yeah. natural medicine, all of these things. And, and why are we still saying that? And, and I must admit when I introduced you as, you know, alternative medicine expert, well, that was largely taken off your website. So that's right. I was kind of, I was kind of like, I don't know that it. I wanted to lead with that because I think it is, I mean, I'm very interested in that, uh, that we even talk about that because I think it is this, you know, even when we're sitting now and, and with the world sort of at a standstill and everybody's freaking out about, you know, COVID and, um, and what's happening next. And, and I kind of feel like we're, we're, we're missing the real discussion, oh, which should be true. on building immunity and, well, and how do we become more resilient and, and stronger. And, and I believe in us far more than I think the media and the government's portraying i believe in the human body and and our ability to be stronger than what they're saying and and uh, but uh, i'm interested to hear your thoughts on that well absolutely and first of all i think we're missing the most important pandemic and it's you know being misrepresented in the media uh being described as comorbidities uh, and or predisposition to covid your predisposition to experiencing a negative outcome including death from covid um, is because you're obese you have hypertension or diabetes or all three metabolic syndrome uh, mm. those aren't comorbid well they are comorbidities you want to get technical but what they are is representative of the true pandemic mm-hmm. and that's been in existence for many decades we've been ignoring these trends up and largely based in you know diet uh, dietary and nutritionally from a uh, you know macronutrient perspective you know demonizing and vilifying fats um you know and uh, spending all kinds of money to to promote uh, refined carbohydrates and sugar uh, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, but these these this root um, of, uh, of um, in the shift toward this pandemic in obesity and diabetes and metabolic syndrome is ultimately what is uh, you know the root of how we are not able to manage coronavirus. I mean, this is it's not so novel. It's really only about seventy three percent similar, uh, and therefore. Now, um, about 27% dissimilar to previous coronaviruses. Uh, we should be able to manage this. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we should be. And by the way, you look at, uh, you know, the younger generation. And again, this is just to reiterate what you and your listeners already know. They're not being affected, uh, nor really is the older healthy generation. What is uh, being affected are those individuals who are immune compromised. And that does happen with age. We could talk about that as well, naturally, to some degree, and ways mm-hmm. to boost that. Um, but these uh, individuals who are already set to pretty much kick the bucket from anything uh, that would hit them. And yet we're calling it in most cases, whether it's medically um, responsible or not, uh, due to you know impetus, both financial and otherwise, to call deaths from COVID, COVID when they're probably really other things. Mm, mm, I couldn't agree. I think I sit at, uh, you know, at the moment, I'm, we're spending a lot of time with my in-laws and, uh, you know, my father-in-law is 79 going on 80. Um, is still a triathlete, still mad about the sport of triathlon, still wakes up every morning and does his swim, bike, and yeah, running. Brilliant. Uh, his diet could do a little better. He still enjoys some of his refined carbohydrates, but generally speaking, uh, you know, he eats very, very well. And he, he's not concerned at all. And it seems to be the, the white older men don't seem to care too much about this, the COVID thing. I think they feel like they've been through far worse and they're kind of like over it. But I look at him and I go, well, that's just a fine example of rather than looking at chronological age, I'm looking at his immunity age. And, and when I had Dr. Tommy Wood on the show a, a few weeks ago and, um, and we had this same discussion and, um, you know, Tommy talked about, 
you know, he'd written a paper about future pandemics and how we prepare. And it's exactly what you're saying. Let's prepare by focusing on the real pandemic. What is it? And at its core, it's look, through the 70s, 80s and 90s and noughties, we were preached fat is bad. You know, we were preached, you know, let's eat, you know, uh, the old pyramid nutrition thing and everything else. That's what we were, we were told. And so it's hard to point fingers, take any blame or anything else. It's just the education wasn't there. Now we're coming around 180 degrees. Let's reshift that pyramid type look at nutrition and let's figure out what foods are right for us. And I, would, I do want to go into that a little bit with you. Um, there's so many topics I want to discuss with you because it's just so brilliant to have someone like of your ability and understanding on the show. So, um, But before we do, give us a little bit of an understanding of where you come from and, and why this area is uh, close to your heart and, and what you've made your life. Oh, yeah, sure. So I was well on track uh, to start a career in clinical psychology. Uh, I spent a couple of years at, uh, at the time was called the, I live in Toronto, Canada, uh, at the time was called the Queen Street Mental Health Centre uh, and Hospital. And those, uh, those days, and we we're talking, um, you know, the uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, what, the, you know, those were pretty dreary days for psychology and psychiatry. I mean, you think about sort of this uh, lime green painted wall and uh, those who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia smoking in the corners and, uh, you know, kind of one flew of the cuckoo's nest, you know, type thing. So, you know, having done some occupational therapy and outpatient care, I quickly realized this was not what I thought it was going to be. But I stumbled across, I, I, I wrote about this in my first book, I stumbled across in the uh, library um, barracks, the storage facility in this in this hospital. Uh, how in the mid fifties and even earlier, the use of certain natural remedies and homeopathics were used in conjunction. And so, there's another perfect example of sort of a functional approach at the time, uh, psychotherapy. And I thought, wow. And so, you know, I grew up in a single parent family home. Actually, my my mother was well ahead of her years. Uh, we were, you know, uh, eating, you know, nutritionally and organically, and we had compost in the backyard and growing our own veggies and, you know, bike riding whenever we could instead of using the family car, like all that stuff. And, but, you know, before recycling was even a name, um, she was doing all these things. And our next door neighbor of Australian descent uh, in a family of 12, uh, very wonderful people. Um, anytime my mother had an issue with us, cold or flu or some minor issue, of course, we had a family doctor, but any sort of small medical issue, she'd call on uh, the CASA checks and, and sort of ask their input. Um, and it would either be, you know, mustard plaster, you know, on the, on the chest or, you know, you know, drinking back some, uh, cayenne pepper and, and water, uh, you know, all kinds of what I, at the time, because I was quite, I, I revered myself even back then as scientifically minded, always con it would, I would always contest, you know, what my mother was talking about or what my mother was getting from uh, our, our next door neighbor, but it grew on me. And I saw that no matter how maybe illogical or, you know, what, you know, often we do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, uh, or sometimes the opposite, we do the the right uh, the wrong thing for the right reason. But nonetheless, these things were working, and uh, my mother was quite balanced. So if we had a real significant medical issue, of course, off to the family doctor we would go. So that was my upbringing. That was my exposure. Uh, this experience at this uh, mental health facility uh, that kind of changed things around. This was almost kind of you know when I came across this literature. Uh, in the library, uh, um, I was convinced I had to go back. And so I did. I went back to school and, uh, you know, got a degree in, uh, in uh, natural medicine. Um, and I've been just, uh, you know, educating myself. I've been, I've been um, a student ever since, you know, um, as often as I possibly can to take a continuing ed course uh, in this field and applying it. And I mean, I've got... Uh, 
two wonderful children now who uh, I've proven this model through as well, a 15-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl. And, you know, it, 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 what this is about is, is, you know, using what you can from nature. And when I say that, I don't just mean picking herbs in the garden. I mean, using our bodies the way we're supposed to. We're meant to, you know, push, pull, jump, squat, and lift. We're meant to eat micronutrient-dense foods. We are meant to unplug from, you know, technology. In fact, we're not really meant to use technology if you consider, you know, uh, from an evolutionary perspective, how such a short blip on uh, the time continuum a technology has been. And, and, and we're meant to get out into nature and expose ourselves to negative ions found in, in forests. And we're meant to ground ourselves and we're meant to talk amongst ourselves. That's a big issue, by the way. Mm-hmm. We, you know, mm-hmm. at the top, we were just sort of briefly describing this current COVID. I actually referred to this, by the way, as a COVID concussion, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, where if you think about it, although we haven't been knocked in the head, uh, what we have been is socially isolated. Uh, we've been discombobulated. We've now got problems sleeping. We're overeating, uh, overeating again, some of the wrong foods. Uh, we're not getting the exercise that we typically uh, we were getting. So all these things have led to basically a syndrome similar to uh, a concussion. But but one of the biggest issues is uh, the desocialization. Mm-hmm. And I've always been this proponent when it comes back to semantics again. This is maybe, maybe in the short term necessary to physically distance, but boy, does that term social distance ever get under my skin? Can't mm-hmm. stand it. So all these things that, you know, we're, we're actually becoming uh, sicker by the day. And And by the way, uh, just as we talked about, you know, alluded to the top, we'll get into this maybe deeper is the idea of immune dysfunction uh, occurring from lack of exposure to microbes. We're meant to mm-hmm. be exposed to a diversity of microbes. That's the only way that our inherent uh, and, and um, you know, the, the immune system we're born with ever learns. It learns through exposure. Um, and so I know I digress a little bit, but at the, you know, my, my, uh, my, my getting to where I am uh, was from in a combination of experience of upbringing, uh, along with realizing, you know, uh, just before a career in clinical psychology was to start that it wasn't for me going back to my roots, literally and figuratively, and uh, starting a career in, in natural medicine, just getting people to become healthier by showing them and educating them as to how their bodies, um, under the right circumstances, do everything uh, that they need to do to stay healthy. You know, you feed it well and you exercise and you keep a good mindset. And sometimes people just need these reminders of what they already know. So you combine all of that <clears throat> with, and this is really where I excel, um, clinical and biochemical laboratory technology. I mean, I leverage the best in technology and science. Um, so things like, you know, blood, you know, urine, hair, saliva sampling, along with genetics and personalize an approach that, um, the individual, this is true functional medicine or personalized medicine, that it's it's the end of one. So I've never seen the same situation in my office ever. I don't care what kind of diagnoses an individual has been given. I might see, you know, 25 people with a term chronic fatigue syndrome, but treat them entirely differently. There are some sub-themes that carry themselves through, some commonalities, but often I'll find underlying issues that... Uh, uh, result in this, you know, medical term diagnostic, uh, but not really relevant. Mm. It's a fascinating area that you're in. Then, so every every client that comes in, you you really treat differently. So it's always a different way of approaching and uh, and using all the tools in your toolbox, trying to figure it out and help them on their way. And uh, I love when you you know mentioned uh, socialization almost versus the isolation and and the effects on the, our sort of metabolic health. Um, 
I think this has been a topic of conversation I've had with my mum, who's back in Sydney on her own after our dad passed last year. And, and you know, Australia's come down pretty hard on, on some isolation and things. Um, and, and it has been one where she's a very social person and uh, she's continued to try and have people over every day and, and, and be around other people as much as possible. But I think in for her, you know, she's in that age demographic that they talk about, the mid-70s and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, hang on. You know, I've had my turn and I don't intend to be dying isolated if I'm going to die. And, and um, she's ver- she plays by the rules, but at the same time, it's this, no, I need to, I know that for my own health, I need to be around people. And we've discussed that over and over again. Every time I call her kind of every, every day or two via FaceTime and everything else that we have technology for, which I agree with you. I think it, it can be overdone as well. We need to distance ourselves from technology a little bit, but it has been good to have. Um, no question. I just, just before we go on, um, just so people understand our background, I think we first probably met six, seven years ago at a, at a trade show, um, probably Supply Side West or somewhere, somewhere out there in the nutraceutical yeah. world. Uh, and we were working with Bioenergy Ribose, who were a supporter of ours for a long time as athletes. Uh, D-Ribose is the product that they were, were using and we still use now. And, and that's kind of where we've met. And I think we've worked a couple of times since. I know my wife, Laura, has reached out to you a number of times with our kids and other things. Um, so you've been a great support for us for a long, long time. So again, I appreciate you being here. And what I want to do now is just sort of step through some areas that we can all sort of get some real great takeaways and um, from this podcast. And I, I want to start with nutrition. Um, and I think this is a great place to start because I think it's we can go into supplementation and all the bits and pieces following this. Um, I, I guess let's just go into it. Um, real food, eat like our grandparents. It's not sure. that easy these days. What, what are your thoughts on how do we optimize ourselves in trying to eat real food? What does that mean? And uh, let's go from there. Sure. So just to preface, what I'd like to suggest is although we might get into some great detail here, um, you know, at the end of it, when it's all distilled down, what I have to say is actually not difficult to implement at all. <laughs> you know, it's, it's some few cardinal rules. Um, it's, you know, lending uh, from the evidence and uh, scientific literature and what we know um, uh, essentially about uh, evolutionary biology. You know, I, I really am a huge proponent of uh, a paleolithic style uh, of eating uh, with some leeway. So that's why I use the term style. Uh, there are, there's definitely exceptions to that, to that rule. But generally, if we understand how our ancestors ate and how the hundreds of millions of years that have led up to our biology and our biochemistry and more recently you know over the over the past few million years a couple of single you know genetic mutations that have occurred uh, to allow us to be who we are essentially today and the brains that we have and the bodies that we have um, that if we can appreciate that evolutionary biology and sort of simply follow a few cardinal rules that most of us will be back to at least optimal form from nutrition now I will also use this sort of caveat you know I tell this to my patients all the time once you now have a medical problem or condition condition, it is very difficult to eat yourself healthy. So what I mean by that is not to say that you shouldn't optimize nutrition throughout your entire, you know, recovery. um, uh, And, uh, you know, once you're optimal, maintain (laughs) that optimal nutrition that's often personalized for you, but extracting ingredients and taking out nutrients from food to therefore create therapeutic range. um, That's my area of expertise. That's essentially what I do nine times out of 10 with somebody. And so that's something that's difficult to get to through diet alone. So what to your point mm-hmm. about eating like our grandparents, you know, 
I would actually suggest that you eat only foods that you would imagine literally presenting to your great, great grandparents. And so that they would recognize that food. And then that would be your, you know, uh, that, that would be your go ahead to eat that food. So what I mean is that if, if they didn't know ultimately what this packaged Twinkie was, or a can of Coke, let alone how to open these things, or a McDonald's hamburger, you know, so it's basically, this is one of the first cardinal rules. So it's packaged, processed, packed with sugar, vegetable oils, preservatives. And of course, this is the most important thing you can find because everyone can be their own judge for this. If it's micronutrient devoid, then avoid it. And actually, one of my I, one of my favorite. He's a prolific writer on the turn on the um, on the theme of nutrition. Michael Pollan. I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, New York Times bestselling author. I like his slogan the best. I, I you know he says this. He says it's a three part slogan. Simple. Eat food. And what he means by that is real food. I mean from the you know garden and from from Mother Earth and organic if possible. Maybe we get into that. But eat food. Not too much, okay, and that's just being reasonable, right? And mainly plants. And he's, he's not—he's not this advocate of veganism, nor is he a eat meat all day. It's just like you know, eat food, not too much, mainly plants. I love that because here's the second cardinal rule: you got to eat a rainbow of fruits and veggies every day, and you have to audit yourself. In fact, even get your kids to help you audit the fridge. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple. There's a point to all of that variety. And by the way, purple happens to be one of the most important, loaded with uh, proanthocyanidins and uh, polyphenols, amazing for your brain and for your heart and for exercise uh, recovery. Um, but if you realize, huh, you know, I haven't had purple for a few days, well, you better get off to the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the grocery store in the produce aisle and get some purple grapes or some purple cabbage or some eggplant. You know, I don't care what it is, just make sure you fill on that particular color of the rainbow. So that's second. And then ensure your diet's rich in protein and healthy fats. I mean, here's the, you know, you've heard of this before. I know you have, and I know most of your audience has. There is such a thing as an essential fatty acid or essential fatty acids. There's such a thing as essential amino acids, which form protein. But think about this. There's no such thing as essential carbohydrates. It doesn't exist, right? So, you know, we all have to learn how to reduce on those micronutrient deficient, again, packaged, just filled with sugar and vegetable oils, and just, you know, sock those away. It's what our brain craves, you know. A lot of studies actually show very similar to the way it would crave heroin or crack cocaine. Um, but we have to control those cravings and... Um, and we have to do our best to eat food, not too much, mainly plants. Mm. What, do, what do you think? What do you would you suggest? I know a lot of the listeners are athletes. They've got triathlons, Ironmans. They're preparing for all sorts of things. I know you've done a fair few of these kind of events yourself. And um, what do you suggest when it comes to going out on those long bike days, long run days? Uh, you know, where we tend to feel like we need more carbohydrates, and we tend to need it probably a little bit better packaged than way, maybe the way nature is packaged sort of these things. How, what are your recommendations on, on, um, on doing exercise with all this stuff? Sure. Well, the technology is there and it's available to test yourself at home. So if you are well into ketosis and you're following sort of a ketogenic style diet, well, then you don't need that. You don't need the sugar. Mm. You're, you know, you're already in that phase. Um, if you're not and you're out of that, then yes, sir, I agree. I mean, there's been times and um, and again, that's high competition. As you were mentioning uh, prior, um, you know, your, your uh, relationship with, you know, that 79-year-old uh, gentleman uh, turning 80, uh, maybe not being so strict with his diet. Well, guess what? He's almost 80 years old, and guess what? He doesn't have to be. <laughs> and by the way, there's also something, and he's doing triathlons all the time and, and practicing. So yeah, no, he can afford to have that 
you know, brownie once in a while or that extra serving of uh, white rice. Um, he is, and I'm not about, you know, calories in, calories out. That's absolutely in part what I was just describing, in fact. Mm. Not all calories are equal. We are also not bomb calorie meters, you know, and this is where the whole, you know, calorie idea started from. You pack a bomb calorie meter with a piece of uh, one, you know, uh, gram of um, protein uh, versus, you know, a brownie that also has a gram of protein. Um, it's not going to blow up in the same way, uh, just as a, you know, a gram of spinach would be metabolized uh, by the body in a different way and not yield the same uh, nutrient values. So, you know, so what I think is that there's an exception to the rule, you know, but that's all it is. People should learn. In fact, this, this is the point. There's always going to be exception. So don't make the exception. So you'll be at a wedding, you'll be at a birthday party and you will have that piece of cake. But to make the exception is to purchase this at the grocery store and stock it in the pantry in your kitchen. That's so. There, don't make exceptions when there's already exceptions to be had. But at the same time, I'm not. I don't. I am definitely not an extremist. You know, these are general cardinal rules to follow. Mm-hmm. That if you do that by about eighty percent, you should be well off. I tell that you know my patients all the time. Give me eighty percent compliance uh, because I know you'll quote unquote cheat. I don't just mean diet. I mean forgetting to take your supplements or not showing up to you know your intravenous appointments or whatever. But give me eighty percent compliance, and you'll see a hundred percent results. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way. Laura and I have tried to live always is that 80-20 kind of mindset is do the best you can with the knowledge that you have. And I think we're all starting to get more and more educated. I think, you know, over this last 20 years has been, it's like you said, it's become less alternative and it's becoming more, okay, this is natural. Okay. There's more conversations about keto. There's more conversations about fat. We're getting educated. It just took a little while. We, we didn't have the knowledge. And, you know, I had a, I did a podcast episode with Dave Scott and Dave Scott, um, for people that don't know, he, he is basically the godfather of triathlon and Ironman. He won six uh, Kona Ironman World Championships in the 80s and one of the greatest sort of athletes our sport's ever seen. And I had him on and um, he's a big advocate on, you know, keto and everything you're talking about. And and he basically said, look, I was preaching all the way through the 80s and 90s. You would hear me yelling that, yeah, you need to eat carbohydrates and get away from the fat. Yeah, he like, rewrote his whole book. And he's like, I was wrong. He's like, I was wrong, everybody. I'm telling you. And, you know, he's now dealing with some of his own um, medical conditions and everything because of the effects of what he did to his body in his, in his 20s and 30s that have affected him later on in life. And, and a part of what we're talking about here is not just to find energy and performance now. It's about how do I want to be 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? How, how do I do that now? What can I do to my body now that's going to best prepare me for, for my health span, my longevity? And, um, and that was what Dave was really preaching. And, and it was, it was thoroughly enjoyable conversation. Actually, if you ever want to listen to one, he was very educated and, and it was really great. So that's a great kind of place to start with nutrition. Um, and I like the fact that you're not preaching either way, whether it's, you know, veganism or whatever we're talking about but you know if you're going to eat fish eat wild fish if you're going to eat meats try and do the grass-fed and finished meats um, and try and be organic um i love all that and now for the rest of the time like we said 80 20 but we're probably still missing a fair bit out of our diets and our nutrition and this is where supplements um comes into the equation and personally for myself um over the years i've been on and off different supplements and everything else and trying to figure out what's the best thing for me. If I said to you, Bryce, look, what is something that everybody should just have in their pantry? Is there 
a list that you said, look, these are all A plus supplements. You got to have these no matter who you are. Yeah, well, certainly in this uh, current climate uh, where the focus is immunity uh, and where the science leads us to uh, believe there are certain ingredients that we could definitely do well by to uh, improve and enhance our immune systems. And I will purposely not use the term boost. Uh, we've gotten, again, semantics and nomenclature too common, too, too used to using that word. It's technically incorrect, but certainly support uh, or strengthen um, or uh, create resilience within our immune system. I, I believe that, uh, you know, and, and you probably heard, you know, the recent work of uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick around vitamin D. Uh, I love that research around uh, vitamin C. I think there's, you know, folks should probably not hyperdose with that, you know, but 500 milligrams is really, really where the literature sits. Uh, but most of us, um, you know, are deficient, whether we're north or south of 40 degrees, you know, latitude, um, and simply don't get enough exposure to vitamin D. So vitamin D and vitamin C for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think also that uh, uh, vitamin E is a big one, uh, often misunderstood. Um, and I don't mean tocopherols, but tocotrienols. Uh, there's uh, eight isomers of vitamin E, and this is the other four that are not been uh, well promoted, but do all kinds of good uh, for the immune system and, uh, you know, energy pathways. I think N-acetylcysteine uh, is something to follow. And I think quercetin uh, is, a, is a big one to take a look at. Uh, it's a bioflavonoid uh, often found in high concentrations in onions and brightly colored orange and yellow fruits and vegetables. Um, uh, quercetin is, uh, you know, something that along with uh, vitamin D might actually help prevent uh, adherence of certain uh, viruses uh, from entering the cell, which seems to be a big issue as to how this uh, current one is, is working. So that's, that's sort of a list now. But I mean, you can't, you can't get away with um, most of us can't get away without taking an omega three fatty acid. Mm. Um, I am always one about clean sourcing. By the way, I should say um, a little bit of background on on my um, uh, my knowledge of ingredients is not just sort of clinical and reviewing white papers. I literally travel the planet, uh, boots on the ground in the manufacturers of the ingredients that supply the consumer facing brands. So I've been everywhere. I've seen it mm -hmm. all. And um, uh, so it, initially it's kind of, you know, the white papers that might intrigue me. But then next thing you know, I'm off in uh, the, the depths of the uh, forests in Malaysia, the palm forest, looking at this extract of tocotrienols, or I'm in Japan studying, you know, theanine, um, and, or, you know, I'm, uh, traipsing across, uh, you know, Missouri egg cracking district, <laughs> learning about <laughs> natural eggshell membrane. I mean, I visited, you know, well over, uh, 25 different manufacturers and done deep dives all over the place. And then I do these documentaries on them. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've done my due diligence on the omega-3 industry. And I think a company that's doing it the best, a manufacturer is DSM, well known for some time to be this, uh, you know, the biggest manufacturer of fish oil, uh, derivative omega-3. But I think one of the products that they're manufacturing found in multiple uh, finished products, uh, consumer-facing uh, brands, is uh, a DHA two-to-one ratio of DHA to EPA from an algal source, mm. um, and an algae that's not scraped out of the bottom of the ocean and then and then pasteurized or something. But th this is algae that has been uh, refined and 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 and, and genetically. Um, picked, if you will, uh, because it's got a high output of uh, DHA and EPA. And they basically distill it like they would beer, a fully self-contained. So I'm all about you know sustainability. Um, I'm all about safety, obviously, and efficacy, but traceability and transparency, like where these things are coming from and, uh, the shortest, you know, touch points, you know, into the environment and or exposure. So this, this DHA EPA algal source, which by the way is 
so important to the brain as well as the immune system and the heart um, and the purity and the potency of this stuff. So I, I would say everyone should be looking into that life's omega. Um, and, uh, you know, it's called, called life's omega. That's the source. Yeah. Like I typically, you know, I, I typically speak like you do to ingredients yeah. versus brands. I'm not as much. Yeah. There's, there's often the, the case to be made where you have to talk about a brand simply because they control that ingredient. But aside oh, Aside from that, I'm a, I'm a huge, just like I would say, you know, probiotics are, are wonderful as well. We need to pay more close attention to our, our microbiome. Um, and people hear about prebiotics, but a lot of folks don't really understand the importance of the prebiotic, especially as it relates to, by the way, postbiotics. Have you ever talked to anybody about postbiotics? Postbiotics? Absolutely no. <laughs> so we know about prebiotics and you of course yeah, know that by yeah. now we've got a microbiome it's really important for endurance athletes by the way because we all know the feeling of uh you know long distance uh run or triathlon and, and we get we get upset bowels it's almost as if it's uh it's akin to antibiotic associated diarrhea we've all been there um and by the way I personally love eco challenges. I am not, uh, you know, an elite athlete. I love endurance sports. I, I would call myself more of a non-professional enthusiast. Um, you know, certainly a step up from a weekend warrior, but I've never thought of trying out at the elite level. Um, I've done, you know, uh, coastal challenge as was one of my favorites. This was a, a rainforest run, 235 kilometers along the Pacific coast of Costa Rica that weaved in and out of the, uh, the mountains, some insane elevations. I'll tell you over, uh, the course of six days, it's basically a marathon every day. And the wheels came off on that one, but I will never forget how, you know, it was uh, day five and I did not want a DNF and, um, you know, not to be too graphic, but, uh, all I had was, you know, you know, some broad leaves and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, digging a, a hole in the ground to, you know, take pit stops and to, to satisfy what was ultimately a major acute dysbiosis. Um, and so full circle back to pro probiotics, prebiotics, and the need to be taking these pre and post, um, you know, uh, uh, um, major events, I think is key. So once again, so we've got this immune uh, system in our gut, about 80% of our immunity resides in uh, the guts called GALT or gut associated lymphoid tissue. Obviously it helps to keep bad bugs at bay and manages inflammation uh, through cytokine discussions to the vagus nerve and the brain, et cetera. Uh, but generally it keeps things going there, you know, down in the, in the gut smoothly. Right. And when a pre, when a probiotic, um, is ingested supplementally, uh, the bacteria actually first has to locate fiber-rich foods, ideally soluble fiber, because that's what they eat. They have to eat just like we have to eat. Um, and um, where they eat, they have to discard waste. Most people don't think of that sort of in and out scenario. So what they leave behind are called postbiotics. Um, however, this is not obviously the equivalent of some kind of probiotic poop. Uh, these are uh, actually really healthy for you. They're necessary for you. So um, as I mentioned, they get, they have to eat and they have to eat a very high quality uh, fiber. And unlike, uh, you know, insoluble fiber that creates the roughage and bulk in the poop, this is soluble and they're able to ingest that. And sort of like us, we, we, we probiotics have their favorite sort of junk foods, right? Um, and then there's what's actually good for them. And that's the lots of fruits and veggies that contain you know, a lot of soluble fiber. Um, and a lot of other fibers can act like junk food and actually cause dysregulation, like gas and bloating and distension. Um, whereas a higher quality, you know, soluble fiber found in foods. And, uh, in fact, one that I love, which is an extract of the guar bean, um, is super healthy for your probiotics. And so what they ultimately leave behind once they've been fed well, 
um, are certain classes of B vitamins, vitamin K. Uh, you've heard of short chain fatty acids and the, you know, sort of uh, Goldilocks scenario around those guys. Got them not too many, not too few. Uh, glutathione. I'd love to get into that in a little bit uh, more with you as well, but they actually, some species manufacture uh, glutathione down there. Um, and then other things like antimicrobial uh, peptides and phytoestrogens and fulvic acids. Uh, basically, if you feed your microbiome the way you should be feeding yourself, you will, athlete or otherwise, feel a huge difference. Mm. So I need you to probably run through a couple of very clear, like you, you mentioned, the, the guar bean. What other things would you say, look, put this on the top of your list for, you, for your it's, microbiome? Yeah, it's super, it's super simple. Google soluble versus insoluble fiber. And there okay. are gazillions of lists. Um, and you, you might want to, if you're the typical individual, again, uh, elite athlete or otherwise that, uh, often has, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, like symptoms, um, I'd highly encourage you, you know, Monash university, uh, over there and your part of the world, they, they, they've come up with the best research around the FODMAP classification of mm -hmm. food. So often there is, you know, there's good food right? But people are different. People are individual and some can manage these fructooligosaccharides and polyols better than others. So there's lists that if you find like you're trying to increase your roughage, you're trying to increase your soluble fiber from natural sources like fruits and vegetables, which I highly endorse, um, you might find that you still have an upset stomach. So I'd at that point suggest that you avoid FODMAP foods, um, distinguished specifically by Monash University. So you look up Monash University FODMAP, follow that criteria, and you'll come to learn like, oh, wow, you know, onions and garlic, all these years I've been told are so good, are actually the biggest culprit in my digestive health. They're causing upset uh, stomach and distension and uh, hyperpermeability. So it's, it's something I've had good success with when I've asked people to increase their soluble fiber, but with the caveat in some cases that they have to um, avoid or limit the FODMAP classification of that fiber. Perfect. I'll put all of that. That'll all be in the show notes, everybody. So in case you're scrambling, you're on a bike listening to this, don't worry. We, I'll put all of it in show notes and you can come back and um, it'll all be there for you. Now, you mentioned, so I've, I've been taking the omega-3s, the D3. Um, I take probiotics. Uh, I actually use a brand called, not that I'm pumping brands out, but I use a brand called Regular Girl. I just thought I'd mention it because it's called Regular Girl, but it's what, a company that Laura's worked with for a number of years. And uh, yes, us guys can even take it as well. It has the prebiotic, probiotic, as you as you mentioned. It's interesting as you talk about that. That's, so that's, yeah, you, there you go. That's a brand, but I, us guys can take that as, as well. It turns out that that is exactly the quality uh, guar bean soluble fiber I'm talking about. It's a very regulating fiber. Um, and it's the perfect prebiotic for the probiotics. I really think pro so, you know, here's a, here's a link you should post up on your, on, on your site sure. and show notes as well. I, I just happen to be quite proud that, uh, it's a, it's a Canadian link. Um, but, um, the work was done, uh, by a Canadian pharmacist and, um, the, uh, the, the it's a, it's a link to look at, um, uh, the you know, probiotics by indication. So, so here's the thing: there might be the right prebiotic, as we just described, right? Sun fiber, regular girl, um, guar bean extract. There's no such thing as the right or best probiotic. Mm. Guess why? It's just simply what has been evidence based on the strain and species by indication that confers the health benefit. So, is there the right strain and species by fingerprint? to confer health benefit in the case of post-antibiotic associated diarrhea? Yes. Or irritable bowel syndrome? Yes. Or Crohn's wow. and colitis? Yes. Or wow. post-endurance you know, athletic diarrhea? Yes. So there's all these indications. So probioticchart.ca, 
is is that list the best you know peer reviewed clinical evidence based you know for adult health women's health pediatric health you take a peek at that and then what you'll notice is brands have to be identified because you have a company like Activia uh, do you guys have that by you, that brand? Activity? I've heard of that, actually. Yeah. Maybe just through advertising or something, but yes, I've, I've heard yeah, of it. So yeah, you, so you have that. So it's a brand. It's not the best uh, probiotic, but it's got, you know, B. animalis in it. Well, what the hell is that? That's a probiotic strain 2494 that happens to be, uh, you know, what, level evidence one, so class one, which is the best for constipation and irritable bowel. Great. Mm. But it's not indicated for antibiotic-associated diarrhea, nor is it indicated for oral health, nor is it indicated necessarily for Helicobacter pylori, H. pylori, nor is it indicated for traveler's diarrhea or immune enhancement. So it's there's no such thing as the best probiotic. It's simply the, the you know the best probiotic on indication. But there's definitely uh, reason to believe there is the best prebiotic. Do you think we can get to the point where we could have something in our phone app where it does just take a fingerprint and it'll tell you what you what you need to be taking for probiotics? Well, I've been for a long time in clinical practice uh, using a you know really, really neat technology provided by uh, Genova Diagnostics. In fact, I've run a lot of tests, um, and I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with uh, one called the NutriVal. I, I think you and mm. Laura. Yeah, Laura, Laura and I, I have both that. been on but Laura's been on NutriVal for for a long, long time. Yeah. So that's, that's looking at blood and urine and checking your entire citric acid and Krebs cycle for energy production. And then downstream looking at, you know, neurotransmitters and neuropeptides and amino acid sequencing and vitamins and minerals that you might be, you know, lacking and all that, that stuff. But they also offer another test. And I love this lab. They're in, they're in North Carolina, in the trifecta of where all this uh, research is going on and lab biochemistry and functional medicine. But these guys uh, do something called the GI effects and the GI effects is a stool test. And so using, you know, a sample uh, from somebody's uh, stool, sending it to the lab, they're able to tell me what that individual is growing and not growing within a panel of 26 commensal bacteria that they should be growing, plus potentially pathogenic as well as sometimes pathogenic bacteria that compete. It's kind of like real estate down there, right? You know the deal. I mean, if one bacteria, whether it's non-pathogenic or not, is taking up more real estate than another one, that, that that's in and of itself dysbiosis or imbalanced you know, bacteria, good or bad or whatever the case may be. It's all about you know, strains and species and uh, how much real estate they're taking up. So it'll look at that. And then it'll look at uh, if there is potentially pathogenic or pathogenic bacteria down there, what individual, both pharmacologic as well as natural ingredients seem to be the best to kill off those good bacteria. So I don't know about a fingerprint, but I do know that a, a stool sample goes a long way. Yeah. And uh, with that information, I've been able to rehabilitate uh, individuals' uh, guts. You know, on this topic, I just got to say, um, I have zero, I, I, I believe there's zero credibility around doing food sensitivity panels until, and uh, there's still even some caveat there, but until you've done an appropriate evaluation of your gut. Mm -hmm. And here's why. You have to understand whether or not you've got hyperpermeability. We're supposed to, we're permeable down there. That's what the small intestine does to absorb my, uh, macronutrients, right? Um, but if we're hyperpermeable, then stuff literally uh, bacteria and long chain carbohydrate and protein sequences leak into the general circulation that shouldn't, then your immune system gets confused and starts to create antibodies against that food. But if you don't correct the leakiness, essentially, this is the affectionate term given to you know, hyperpermeability, leaky gut syndrome, you don't, you don't correct that, then you're ultimately 
by doing a food sequence assessment for food sensitivities, you're going to come up with a ridiculous amount of false positives, mm. right? So there's no point that you're wasting your money. And that's, it just kills me because I hear so many people just sort of going into, you know, a naturopath's office like mine and then saying, can I get a food sensitivity test getting it? And then they're like, oh my God, what do I even eat now? They're given 250 restrictions. <laughs> so, you know, a lot does reside in the gut. The immune system resides in the gut. You know, we just briefly talked about it in context of prebiotics, but, but mo- many people in North America due to their poor diets have leaky gut. And there's a great test to have done. It's actually provided uh, by McGill University here in Canada, uh, among others. Um, uh, the test is called a zonulin test. And I got to say, the research is very, very conclusive around this too. Once you have a leaky gut, you also have a leaky brain because zonulin is kind of this gatekeeper of these, uh, these cells that ultimately um, line up for the blood-brain barrier as they do in the gut line up between uh, the villi and your general circulation. So uh, it's, a, it's a really important one, I think, that people have on their radar if they've got general systemic issues, you know, brain fog, you know, their, their endurance is, uh, you know, succumbing uh, to uh, diet and or just not, fi- not able to figure out what's going on. Look into leaky gut. Look into uh, you know how the gut is playing a role. Mm, it's fascinating. Just a quick mini break before we get back to the show. I just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of $79 added value. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. I mean, we're talking about the nutrition side of things. Do you think overtraining in sport also affects the leaky oh, yeah. gut? Yeah. Well, yeah. well no, overtraining is absolutely just as is as unnatural um, as uh, you know a junk food diet. You know, um, wow. and, and the stressors on the body, it, they're just different types of stressors. I mean, you know, I'm a full believer in finding the sweet spot, Goldilocks zone, and again, appreciating the individual's genetics. I mean, there are genes that literally dictate that you should not engage in intense aerobic activity. Um, you know, superoxide dismutase, your ability to detoxify through the family of super genes known as glutathione S transferase. So GSTT1, GSTP1, GSTM1. If you have null variants of GSTT1, you're not producing glutathione. I'd love to get into that with you, by the way, because this is really a master antioxidant in the body. But if you- well, let's talk if, about that. Let's talk yeah. about glutathione right now, because I've been really keen, because I've just started taking a product called um, uh, Continual G, which and, and their, their product is glytine. Um, well, but tell, tell me about all of that and, and, and why I should be doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's where the science exists. So, mm. so just really quickly to, to frame this up, just to, to finish, you know, that idea around overtraining. If you're overtraining without a therapeutic intervention, again, you're just eating healthy. That's great. Continue to do that. But now your stressors are higher than they are naturally. So you have to go beyond diet. You have to you know, implement therapeutic intervention and you can't do that other than taking these ingredients scientists have discovered that actually work. And that's that's what we're going to get into momentarily. Yeah. But, but it's all about hormesis. That's the Goldilocks zone. That's the sweet spot, right? Too little stressor, no good. Too much stressor, no good. But exercise is a hormetin. That's one for folks if they haven't heard of that terminology before to look up. Hormesis, H-O-R-M-E-S-I-S. It's that perfect level of stress, that perfect dose of an ingredient uh, that may actually be itself a stressor. But glutathione, 
this is just, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to unpack this because this is just such a, we, we, some estimates actually show that endurance athletes on top of, you know, those that have a, an awareness and their radar is on supplementation and they know how important this detox antioxidant is, is that in, in North America alone, we're spending about half a billion dollars. That's annually on supplemental glutathione, which shockingly doesn't work does not work. So you mentioned glycine a moment ago. I'm going to tell you about that. And from what I know as well, because I've done the deep dive on that also, supplementation with glutathione is incapable, incapable, the research supports this, uh, of increasing intracellular glutathione. That's where glutathione works, right? As it relates to the ATP production downstream of the mitochondria, it works to protect the mitochondria and sweep up oxidative stress. So since the glutathione concentration found in the extracellular environment after supplementation uh, or your own body producing it, because by the way, you'll be happy to learn, you produce it, we have to to live. But that extracellular environment is much lower than that which is found intracellularly by about a thousandfold. Okay, so this large difference actually means that there is a very high, actually, it's probably even an insurmountable concentration gradient that prohibits extracellular glutathione from entering cells. It's that supersaturation concept, right? But enter on scene, uh, this glycine, as you're talking about, and actually, it's a distillation kind of made to be easier uh, to sort of remember of gamma glutamylcysteine. Um, so this is a molecule glycine, they've affectionately called it. It is a molecule that seems to be the solution to the absorption because it fuels the pathway intermediate of glutathione transportation. So actually, maybe we should even take a step back here and discuss the importance of glutathione at, at, at large because, you know, we talk, this is known for as an anti-inflammatory, um, you know, redox. Uh, so this is sweeping up the mess of day-to-day -day life. But when you're an elite athlete, boy, oh boy, do you need more of it. So you know, many know it for uh, detoxification. Uh, but so few people realize how an incredible amount of research and information has emerged uh, in the scientific literature on crucial, this being a crucial, crucial player in regulating inflammation. By the way, immunity as well. So inflammation, sport recovery, immunity hasn't been known for that, just as powerful to do that as, as in effect, detoxification. Um, and um, probably the most effective antioxidant at destroying uh, those uh, you know, reactive oxygen species you've heard about are free radicals. I wrote my whole first book on this called The Antioxidant Prescription. Mm. Mm. And um, these are produced purposely by our immune system in response to threats. It's kind of like the bullets in, in, your, in your proverbial gun. And it protects us uh, as well from uh, the destructive effect of, of, of all this oxidative stress. So we need a certain amount again. It's that Goldilocks level. So, so, so here's what's going on. So the, the core mediators of the immune system, lymphocytes, and those turn into various sort of natural killer cells. You've heard of those. It's so important at this juncture, this current time as it re relates to uh, pandemic and even the upcoming cold and flu season. Lymphocytes perform, you know, their bacterial and their viral and their anti-cancer cell-killing uh, abilities by generating huge amounts of these reactive oxygen species. That's what they do. Uh, but they're bad, right? After a certain amount, they're, they're necessary. But again, it's this Goldilocks formula. So too much mm. is no good, too little is no good because these species are so highly toxic and not only to bacteria, but also to our own bodies, to our own tissue. Glutathione efficiently then neutralizes an over- production 
of reactive oxygen species. That's the gold nugget right there of information. So the pace of free radical generation, which is obviously due to high levels of endurance activity that we talk about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as one example, you know, can often surpass the cellular production of glutathione. So if your, your exercises surpass that, this leads to a whole cascade of oxidative stress and chronic inflammation and tissue damage. So it it turns out actually literature is very supportive that even a temporary drop in a single day in optimal glutathione levels may actually cause harm uh, due to this oxidative stress. So besides activity, by the way, being in excess, just simply aging, uh, advancing age and poor lifestyle choices we talked about early on, environmental stressors, and even those genes I talked to you about, the whole Mm -hmm. super family of glutathione genes, the susceptibility of all those things play a role in uh, taxing glutathione levels. But again, optimal level of glutathione is really easily, very easily compromised. And it's an important objective for any cell, any cell in your body, brain cell, liver cell, blood cell, any cell uh, to maintain glutathione at optimal levels at all times, right? Mm. And as efficient our cells are in doing that, our glutathione levels uh, often drop below this optimal level because as we age and with chronic health issues, and we, you know this, and most athletes know this idea, homeostasis, Uh, becomes out of whack. So as homeostatic levels decrease, and this is where our requirements remain the same, but the cell stops producing it in the quantities that it's needed because homeostasis uh, ultimately has been reached, right? Like I I use this uh, analogy with my patients, you know, often, and it's a fundamental homeostatic level. um, And that is uh, um, temperature. It's very tightly controlled, right? So 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.8 degrees Celsius, pretty constant throughout our lives. Actually, that's interesting. I've been reading some research around uh, the thyroid and how this is changing due to exogenous stressors and so forth. Actually, we're just (laughs) generally getting cooler. I'm not sure if you heard that or not, but generally as a population, this temperature consistent is actually dropping a few decimals. Anyway, I digress. But the normal level of glutathione, which is set by our cells, does change. So it changes, it decreases with age and chronic disease, even though we need the same amount of this, going back to that earlier point, we need the same amount of glutathione throughout our lives. It decreases as we age. This, if you use that temperature analogy, analogy, imagine, um, you know, our body temperature slowly dropping over time to levels ultimately, which wouldn't be sustainable to, you know, life. So we have to maintain glutathione levels above this decreasing, um, homeostatic level. That's my bottom uh, line. And to date, uh, ultimately, you know, progress in achieving this has been really, really slow. We've heard of things like N-acetylcysteine or selenium or alpha lipoic acid as being precursors, but the science has debunked that, you know, this doesn't really work. Um, and especially glutathione itself does not increase cellular glutathione. Um, and so by the way, we talked about the NutriVal. Um, this is by Genova Diagnostics and, and you and Laura are familiar with the NutriVal. One of the most important markers among a lot of others that I keep my eye on is the whole blood glutathione, uh, ultimately, which is an indirect measure since once again, it's the intracellular glutathione that even matters uh, more. So mm. bottom line, with this uh, recent uh, commercial availability of the gamma uh, glutamyl cysteine or the glytine, which is uh, GGC, the immediate precursor to glutathione, this will achieve cellular glutathione above homeostasis. So now that's possible. And by the way, anyone who wants to look up, you know, this research, one of the best trials done uh, by uh, Martin uh, Zarka, actually, and his team uh, at the uh, Faculty of Science at UNSW in Sydney, mm-hmm. um, at the School of Biotechnology and Biomolecular Sciences, he published in Redox a few years ago, showing that even a single dose 
measurably increased lymphocyte levels that's intracellularly within 90 minutes. So the research is, is, is percolating up and we're now seeing it. I, you know, in a clinical sense, I'd be injecting a patient if I found that they uh, had, uh, you know, GST de- deficit, they were null variant. I would be injecting them with glutathione and often with some success, but not as much as I would expect um, with this stuff, this glycine. Now I'm seeing a lot better result and, you know, and, and, and the, the cost and the invasiveness of intravenous uh, injections. And of course, let alone how somebody has to literally make their way into my office and spend half a day getting these injections. So yeah, I'm, I'm moving my patient, pr- I'm moving my practice over to this oral uh, glycine um, and, and away from, uh, intravenous injections is, uh, can, can you over supplement with it? Is it, is it, you talk about homeostasis. Is it, what happens if you take it? Like at the moment I'm taking it every day. I'm like, yeah, I'm, no, know, I've been I, on it for, for a month or so. And I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. Um, what do you think about that? Well, especially for you. So take everyone in context, especially for you as an, as an elite athlete, I, you know, you, I don't think you could, I, I don't, I, I think people would be po- possibly wasting their money by taking more than they right. needed, but that's my point in trying to achieve beyond homeostasis. See, homeostasis is all about the cellular mechanics, sort of understanding, but being duped by age. So over time, we produce less and less, just as we produce less and less ATP, but I mean, we can get in, this is just a whole other can of worms. But the whole point is, is that over time, as we age, we stop producing these things, including mm-hmm. hormones, as much as we otherwise would. So to come outside of the cell over homeostasis for glycine is only going to invite more glycine through the cell. Once it's in the cell, now it's going to make glutathione. It's not going to make more glutathione than it than it, it needs to within the cell as to do what it needs to do optimally. Gotcha. It's not going to oh, so you're not going to dampen your immune system because again this day and age where you're either an endurance athlete you know following everything you should and the stressors coming from the exercise you know or the opposite you're a couch potato eating a poor <laughs> diet and the stressors coming from inactivity and uh, and poor uh, you know nutrient so be, the majority of us need to uh, supplement with this stuff and the majority of us need to enhance our uh, glutathione pathways mate that's fantastic all of that we've just we've just touched on a lot and i like i said i'll put it all in show notes for everybody but at the moment for myself it's you know i mean i'm in south florida so i i do supplement a little bit with vitamin d3 but i I don't really feel like I need it. I, I'm, in, I'm in the sun a fair bit, but my omega-3, um, probiotics, prebiotics, uh, the glycine, uh, the glutathione, um, and the multivitamin, which uh, through NutraVal we've been taking. I want to move on just to another area that I'm fascinated by, and, and I'm, I apologize to listeners if I always bring this up, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in um, visualizing and the effects that we can have on our brain chemistry uh, through the hormone effects and that that affects us, you know, our physiology. This is an area that you've also got a fairly strong background in. I'd love to just touch on that and just how do we, how can we optimize our our brain clarity, our attention, our learning, but also affect ourselves, you know, physiologically? What what have you got sort of suggestions for that? Sure. You know, so one of the gene subsets uh, that I look at uh, in a clinical practice is um, executive function. Um, and that's essentially mood and behavior. So genes, uh, you know, those that control serotonin, 
dopamine, adrenaline, noradrenaline, um, BDNF. I'm a huge uh, fan of this uh, particular gene and the output, this neurotrophin, this protein uh, in the brain called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. If, if we did anything for our brain health, it would be to focus on up-regulating BDNF, which by the way, you'd be happy to really um, uh, to learn, as you probably already know, by the way, um, that this is accentuated tremendously through exercise. So brain-derived neurotrophic factor, one thing that we've come to realize, uh, neuroscientists in the last few decades is that um, neuroplasticity, and that is the ability for the brain to change, as well as the development of new, new neural cells, neurogenesis, doesn't stop uh, in, you know, in your early teens. This goes on for the rest of your life, but to some degree or another. And you can accentuate this by upregulating brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Um, that's done in a number of ways. I just mentioned exercise, but not just sort of a, a stroll in the park. I mean, actually pushing yourself, right? Vitamin D, we talked about that as well. It's very vitamin D-dependent gene. Uh, you'll find people with uh, vitamin D Genetics that su suggest that their vitamin D absorption and transportation is low and BDNF is low production, they're sun worshipers because it's one way to get uh, vitamin D uh, or BDNF up. Um, but we've learned about ingredients like whole coffee fruit powder. Uh, I mentioned quercetin early on in the show. Quercetin is another ingredient that can boost and upregulate BDNF because this will uh, you know, ultimately improve mood and behavior, improve sleep, lower anxiety. So I look at all these genes because they can help us understand how to support either up or down regulate these various hormones or, or proteins to optimize focus, attention, alertness, concentration, and, and above all, perhaps even sleep. A lot of folks are having a um, you know, problem with sleep. Uh, and so I do that using uh, nutrition and supplementation, but I couldn't be happier to discuss the importance of mindfulness and the importance of visualization. By the way, just before I do, one of my favorite supplements on this topic is theanine, mm -hmm. um, but not from green tea. Yes, you can take that. Yes, you can use that, but actually it's prohibitively expensive to extract from green tea. So the best source is actually um, by a proprietary fermentation process, which has been perfected by the Japanese. It's called sun theanine. Um, and this has been shown to do all of this, to improve uh, focus, attention, alertness, concentration. You know, five really well done studies in children with ADHD that also improved their sleep along with focus and alertness. Um, but even in adults, well over 90 clinical trials have been done uh, on this particular ingredient. So I love this ingredient. It's an amino acid. You can't, you know, can't go wrong. When, when would you take that? Before bed or uh, like yeah, twice in the, a day? Yeah. yeah, in the morning time, about 200 milligrams in the morning, 200 in, uh, in the evening. The morning dose is going to increase that sharp focus focus and that alertness, that concentration, the evening dose actually going to upregulate Delta. So you're going to actually have a lot easier time getting into the proper, the appropriate uh, sleep architecture. So, but I, and to get to your question, really, I love combining a mindfulness meditation at night with my PEMF technology. So that's this pulsed electromagnetic frequency. Not going to get into that right now, but folks can look that up. PEMF is just a increased circulation to the brain and the muscles, microvessel circulation, which is different uh, then you'd realize, um, you know, primary circulation. This is a micro, micro level. It imp increases that, which also improve uh, recovery time and just general blood flow. So, but whilst I also go over a, what I what I refer to as a twenty four hour edit, and this is lending from Ericksonian psychology and kind of combining it with neuro linguistic programming, where you recreate and essentially visualize that recreation of your day ahead, just your twenty four hours. Not next week, not next month, you leave all that out. This is a three column on a piece of paper. The first column, and you write all these points out. You literally have to write it out. You can text it, whatever. You literally have to put pen to paper or, or thumb to keypad. 
you are writing out your expectations of the next 24 hours, right? I don't care what they are. And you assign emotions with each expectation. So I don't think I'm going to do as well in the race tomorrow because I haven't trained hard enough and my diet hasn't been as optimal as I hoped it was going to be. That's your expectation. If you hadn't visited that and been real and true with yourself, it wouldn't have been a point. But now it's a point because it's truly your expectation. You're being real with yourself. So that goes down. The emotion assigned with that is worry, guilt, you know, um, anxiety. Okay. You do about 10 of these expectations. The second column is the edit. It's the most, you know, it's actually not the most important column, but it's, it's, uh, it's a, very uh, the and, and the edits, you're like an editor of a movie, right? Um, where, you know, or even the director and editor, you have full control. It's in the, in the, 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 the shots been done, but, oh, you know, there was that extra who came out at the wrong time. Um, you want to edit that. So you literally take that, situation that expectation and you take the emotions assigned and you recreate them because that's what you this is lending from you know the works of psychology around the self-fulfilling prophecy concept and again ericksonian psychology and the whole neurolinguistics because you're governing an area in your brain um you know which is in charge of uh of um, um the wernicke's area and broca's area of, of language so you're speaking to yourself and recreating self-talk so anyways the second column are your edits so, your ex- so go give the example of that, of the example that you had. With of the, the edit, right. Yeah, yeah. The edit is then all of a sudden remembering how many times you did train, how many excellent meals you did have, and you didn't really have as many cheats as you, you know, it's just, you're just, you're expecting too much of yourself probably. And let's be honest. And then so, so that expectation is, you know what? I stand a really great chance. Let's be realistic. I'm, I'm aiming for the, you know, top three and screw the guilt. I am confident in myself. I'm proud of myself. Now you take that new edit, the new movie, and you play that over and over, right? In your mind. And that's the practice. That's the 10 minutes before bed. It doesn't take longer than this. And then you just leave it. And here, do you want to hear, this is now the most important column is the third column, but you don't complete that until the next night. So that's 24 hours later. And guess what? Of those 10 things you had as preconceived notions that then you created an edit around, and played over and over in your head and you parked it, I'll, I'll promise you six, maybe seven or more times out of 10, out of those 10, you will have experienced the outcome as the edit. Mm. That's what you have to do. Now you're doing a checklist. So you've done the, the um, expectation, the edit, and now you do the list of outcomes. What actually transpired the way you expected initially or the way you edited it? And I'm telling you, 60 to 70% of the time, it's the way, not every time, obviously, that's you know unrealistic, but so many more times than not, the outcome column has transpired as you edited your experience. And it's just 24 hours ahead. And this is, again, it's lending on, you know, uh, biochemistry and psychology. I mean, the more you do that, uh, these, the, 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 the proof in the concept of this, that is to say, the more you prove that your outcomes reflect your edit, the more you realize that this works, the more you realize you have control over your uh, 24-hour destiny. I, I don't love models that suggest that we have full control over, you know, what happens to us two or three years from now, because that's not really congruent with, you know, day-to-day. But certainly, certainly we have control over I love that. 24 hours ahead. I, I, I've been practicing, a, um, especially with this, you know, the COVID and the lockdown and, and everything else. And I think sometimes you can, you can feel your blood pressure getting up with, sometimes you feel like the world's being silly or whatever it is, you know, and you're like, whoa, 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 calm down. And for me, that's been just practicing replacing that with gratitude. Absolutely. And, and, and that's been a really powerful. So what I do now with the whole washing the hand th- thing is, okay, I go do my workout or whatever. And I, 
I go and I wash my hands and it takes 30 to 40 seconds and I'm washing my hands and I first thing I do is I go, okay, what am I grateful for? And my health, my strength, my fitness, blah, blah, blah. You know, then my wife, the kids and everything we got around it. And it's amazing how if I quickly grab a, you know, when I'm working out in the gym quite often, you know, they've got the news blaring and I, I don't watch media much at all actually <laughs> ever. And But it is when I'm working out. And so I often feel like my blood pressure starts to go up and I can just feel this angst and, you know, whatever it is. But then I go and I wash my hands and it's amazing if I just practice that gratitude, take ownership of what's happening and replace it with something else. I mean, it's much the same as the edit as what you're talking about. Well, do you mind if I actually borrow that for a moment and use that as an example? So, so in your in your in, in the practice that I'm referring to is I'm alluding to the 24-hour edit. So in your 10 minutes the night before, um, you might say to yourself, you know, boy, uh, most of my anxiety comes from, you know, when I wash my hands and realize, uh, you know, this this uh, whole COVID pandemic is still something we're challenged with and I got to wear a mask before I go into every store, public place and it just makes you anxious. So that's your current preconceived notion is that you will feel anxious and blood pressure will go up when you wash your hands or put on your mask. So that's your preconceived notion. So what's going to happen if you otherwise didn't do an edit? Exactly that. So let's use, that's a perfect example. Let's use that as an opportunity to implement the gratefulness practice. So tomorrow, instead of feeling anxious, I know that at 1030, I have a meeting uh, in X uh, public place that I otherwise would have to put my mask on, feel anxious about and clean my hands for. No, as soon as I put that mask on and go to wash my hands, I am going to go through the list of what I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. Play that five or 10 times over in your head, what's going to happen the next day when you go to wash your hands? Mm. You're going to actually start to ramble down uh, the list of what you're grateful for. Mm. Yeah. And it really, it has been amazing how that just, you start taking ownership of it a lot quicker. And I think that's part of it. I think what we're talking about is that ability to just take ownership of what's going on in your life. Some of the anxiety and the expectations we all place on ourselves, And nobody's harder on you than you. Um, you know, I, I'm actually quite experienced at letting go of everybody else's expectations and, you know, and, and just focusing on mine and how I can manage that. And as athletes, I think we all become quite in tune with that. I think if you want to perform on the world stage, you tend to become quite in tune with managing your own expectations. But for me, it was also, I, I mean, you mentioned you like to look at 24 hour kind of, for me, it was always, I did visualize events often months in advance, whether I was, you know, on the massage table or sure. I was, or I was doing a physical visualizing, which I call when I was out, you know, doing a workout and I'd have the, the commentator in my head and, you know, I'd have all the, the athletes around me and it was the event and everything else. The brain chemistry, if we repeat those things enough, we can affect ourselves hormonally, which then affects us, our physiology. Would you agree? hundred uh, percent agree. You know, we're, we yeah. are, you know, we, we are masters of our own destinies. You require, as you describe, athletes have a much better command, uh, you know, over the longer term goals. And like you said, they've worked their way up. I suppose a large part of my, um, you know, followers and, and, and listeners would be those of the average, uh, Joe, where I can't, you know, those are, those are, those are extreme um, ethereal concepts for them to imagine if they haven't otherwise experienced the world of athleticism and set longer term mm. goals, which is why I refer to 24 hours ahead. But no, for sure, um, brain chemistry, even our DNA, you know, we're not talking about editing DNA like CRISPR, but when we do this self-reflection, self-talk, expectations, recreating expectations, you, you, you can't change 
your DNA, but you can definitely manage genetic expression uh, using the power of thought of obviously the things we've talked about, nutritional and supplemental uh, influence um, to modify that executive function, genetic expression, like I described. I mean, you can, <clears throat> you know, this is actually something the Japanese refer to as Shinrin Yoku, which is forest bathing. You can take a walk in the forest, which is just amped up in these negative ions, which is maybe counterintuitively you know, good for you. They're, po they're positive for your health, but these negative ions boost serotonin. You can go for a walk in the forest and uh, boost your serotonin and self-talk yourself probably to a higher serotonergic output uh, than an antidepressant. You know, that's what science is showing. By the way, it's a great little exercise too for those who are experiencing anxiety in the moment. It's 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 free and it's incredibly effective. And some studies show even more than the benzodiazepines, which is the classification of anti-anxiety drugs, um, is just to take a deep breath through your nose for a count of four and you hold, this is diaphragmatic breathing, you're very familiar with this, but you hold for a count of seven. For some folks who haven't done this before, it's a little uncomfortable. And then out through pursed lips for a count of eight and you repeat that for about 60 seconds uh, to about a minute and a half. So four to five cycles, but in through the nose for a count of four, hold for a count of seven, out through pursed lips for a count of eight. Mm. I promise you, you are grounded in the moment, regardless as to your thoughts, regardless as to you know your self-talk. You do that for a few minutes, you, you know, whether you're experiencing road rage or you know anxiety prior to a race, you will ground yourself. Mm, I like that. Four, seven, eight. Yep. What about um this is a in terms of grounding and, and maybe explain grounding. Because when I said to somebody, I, I think standing in the ocean, going for a swim in the ocean is one of the best grounding you can do. They said, Well, what do you mean? I was like, sure. I was kind of stumped. So <laughs> what, what do you what is it when we say grounding? I think it's I I would define it as moving from a um moving from a, a certain degree within the a spectrum of fight or flight, uh, so survivalistic uh, thought process and physiology uh, to parasympathetic mode, um, and that is using you know everything from the Earth's energies to self-talk to you know proper nutrients and and again you know the the ocean is a perfect example of a very highly immersed negative ion uh, environment as well. Um, so grounding oneself is moving out of that typical state of uh, survivalistic, you know, you're, you're adrenalized and cortisol is dominant to a parasympathetic state. One way to actually observe this from a biophysiological perspective is to look at the work of uh, Dr. Roland McCready at a, a, a uh, group at um, HeartMath Institute. You familiar with them? No, I'm not. No. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Technology that basically looks at heart rate variability. And what's interesting is this relates to even that breath that I described. The heart sends more thoughts to the brain and more connections go from the heart to the brain than even from the brain to the heart. Think about that for a second. Why was the physiology set up that way? Because dependent on how the heart beats, and this is almost kind of like intuition, why I feel gut feeling or my heart's pounding. I don't know why I'm stressed, but, it, but within nanoseconds prior to, you know, a stressful or a fearful situation, you know, you're kind of already sweating, heart beating and thinking what's going on and then you react. So, these guys have studied heart rate variability in, in context of, of stress. And originally, the studies were done uh, in the military, actually, to improve signals that go from the heart to the brain to be able to, you know, to relax in the moment, you know, at the front lines of uh, engagement. So heart rate variability, if you think about the heart rate, we often think about pulse, pulse rate, you know, 60 beats per minute or as an athlete, 40, right? 
So that's beats per minute. But the heart doesn't beat exactly the same interval, you know, second to second. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not one second per beat for 60 seconds, therefore 60 beats per minute. What it is, is, you know, maybe it takes it 1.2 seconds to make a beat. And then maybe the next beat takes 0.8 and the next beat takes 0.92. That, that variability, perhaps even counterintuitive, that variability, the higher that is, the more variability there is, the more at ease your brain is, the more you are in parasympathetic state, which is you relaxed, able to think, able to manage. Once you're in parasympathetic or sympathetic state, rather fight or flight, most of your brain regions shut down and blood goes to, you know, the organs and, and muscles to get you the hell away from that danger. And that's where we sit in North America most of the time, because mm -hmm. what we consider as, you know, anxiety inducing, and certainly as pandemics doing this to us, um, you know, is, is more often, you know, Zoom meetings and, and calls and deadlines. And we've heard this before, right? This is that engagement of fight or flight that's chronic and cortisol levels go up and our immune systems get depressed. But if you can create heart rate variability increase, and this is the beautiful thing about that breath and some other techniques, is you can literally engage your heart into a rhythmicity that tells your brain everything's going to be okay. So think mm -hmm. about it for a second. When you take a deep breath, really deep breath. And, and that's as I was telling you, you know, through that breath in for four, and then you hold it for seven. What is happening physiologically to the heart? The heart has less space to beat, right? So for the moment you're holding your breath, it's going lub dub, lub dub, lub dub, lub dub, lub dub. Anyone can do it on their own right now. And, and most athletes would actually realize this uh, intuitively. Then as soon as you let that breath out after seven for a count of eight, the heart now all of a sudden has a lot more space to breathe because the lungs are not taking up the thoracic cavity, right? So now all of a sudden it goes from lub dub, lub dub, lub dub to lub dub, lub dub, lub dub. And then again, lub dub, lub dub, lub once you breathe in. What happens when you're in fight or flight? When you're in fight or flight or you're nervous, you're stressed, you have a pant-like breath, right? So you're more often going <laughs> like that. You're running or you're, you're in that fear mm -hmm. sympathetic state. So what does your heart do in consequence? Sounds like this. Love dub, 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 love dub. No variability. And no variability is a signal to your brain that something is kind of wrong. And so you can enter an increased variability by simply engaging in that four, seven, eight breath. And that tells the brain everything is going to be all right. That's what I meant by literally within a minute or two, you can put yourself from sympathetic to parasympathetic state anywhere for free. I love that. I've got a question then on that because what about when it comes to sleep? So for me personally, these days, I, I tend to go to sleep very well. First three to four hours, I sleep well. I take magnesium glycinate before bed, which you know, is, I, you can tell me more about that, but it's meant to help relax me. But then I, I do tend to wake up at sort of that 1am and I'm kind of awake. It doesn't, I can get back to sleep sometimes, but would be doing this kind of this breathing technique. Is that what's going on with the brain there? Or is that a cortisol level problem? I mean, you probably it could be, it could be a number of things. Yeah. Yeah, we'd, <laughs> we'd want to check out a number of things, number of, you know, various sleep wake hormones, you know, the melatonin, serotonin for some folks I see, you know, taking a little bit extra, you know, B6 and B12 uh, in combination with your magnesium. By the way, I like to combine 
magnesium glycinate or bisglycinate, as you described, with magnesium threonate. Because mm -hmm. if, if it's the peripheral nervous system and, and musculature, musculoskeletal system uh, that we're talking about, then yes, the glycinate is excellent. But it doesn't bypass the blood-brain barrier. So threonate, magnesium threonate does. Threonate. That could help. And then in combination of the B12 and B6, it could. So some people do a lot better by an evening dose of tryptophan, slow release. Other people do a lot better with an evening dose of 5-hydroxytryptophan. And yet other people, and this is all dependent on genes, do better yet with a, a, an evening dose of, of uh, time-release melatonin. Mm -hmm. But either way, no matter what kind of person you might be, one of those three things along with B6, B12, and uh, magnesium threonate um, could help significantly. Yeah. And, and, then, and then in your expectations for the next day or even that night, if you say to yourself, it's happened 10 nights in a row, this is the craziest thing about human psychology. Think about this for just a second. You know, again, back to this whole sort of, you know, projection analysis and, you know, editing. You know, if you flip a coin, this is now statistical inference, a thousand times. If you flip a coin a thousand times, and I know it's statistically not likely, but it still can happen. If it lands on tails every single time, what are the chances that the next flip is going to be heads? Still 50-50, isn't it? Every single time. <laughs> and anyone with any logic or intelligence is going to say that. Uh. And yet, think about this. We say to ourselves, geez, the last three nights mm, out mm. of like how many thousands of nights <laughs> I've, I've gotten up at 1 a.m. and I've had a hard time getting back to sleep. You literally have set a pretty powerful expectation. Yeah, yeah I have. Right? Yeah. So what you need to do is, and then just the same way that you have a plan for hand washing and being appreciative, have a plan for when you get up versus not having a plan. Because not having a plan allows that next minute to evolve, which allows that heightened state of alertness, mm -hmm. which allows the you know anxiety to say, I'm not going to fall. It's a vicious cycle. And we've all had it. But here's the plan. And this one's very effective. So you, you asked, and I'm answering, yes, that part of the plan is that breathing technique. And that breathing technique, and this is a one-up, you, you, it's, it's the divine equivalent of counting sheep. <laughs> with breathing technique in place, so once you've gauged and you're now in that four, seven, eight rhythm, all of a sudden you start counting backwards from a really high number. I don't care what it is, it could be a thousand, but science shows by increments of seven. Why? Because we don't do that. It's the least common arithmetic that we do. So subtraction by increments of seven from a high number and at that same breathing technique, which is putting you very steadily and slowly into parasympathetic state you're back off to sleep. But having the plan is key. So if you wake up and you go, well, I wonder what I should do, turn on your phone, best ways to get back to sleep, then you're already up. But if your plan is the second that you wake up and realize, oh, this is not the time that I was hoping to be up, deep breathing, four, seven, eight, okay, now I'm in that rhythm, counting backwards from a, th it is ultimately basically in, um, uh, you know, in psychology, so bloody boring that you're Put it your, your <laughs> exactly, your <laughs> and I think it. I think it. Folk. It doesn't allow your mind to wander until it's asleep. Do you know what I mean? It's like Correct. you. Yeah, it focuses you. I, I like that. Um, and I, and I, you've touched on a little bit, and I, and I appreciate all of this. I feel like you're giving me a free, <laughs> free clinician, so I appreciate it. But you've touched on a few times throughout this chat about uh, genetics and, and DNA, and, and it's interesting that you've mentioned that because just recently. Uh, Laura has done some tests and I have just sent mine in and I plan to have a doctor by the name of Dr. Mansoor in to Dr. read Brennan. me on, on, a, on a, he's a friend of yours. Is he, he's going to come in and read mine um, on an episode coming up. And I'm really excited about that because I think, like you said, 
I've talked a lot about on this show that I think the future of coaching and all sorts of things is we need to understand genetics and DNA more. Uh, oh, and boy. so I, I've you're, been very excited. I, I, I'm uh, I'm envious. He, he's done mine. He's uh, you know I would call him part of the top five clinical genomists in the world. You know UCLA Baylor uh, dual PhD graduate. He's, the guy is a genius as it pertains wow. to. We actually work together on some IP. He might get into that um, uh, that we put into uh, the the world of nutri genomics uh, that we call nutrients. Um, so he was the brains behind the the genetics, and then I was the brains behind the assigning of ingredients to those genetic outcomes, and then ultimately that creates your nutrients, which is yeah. a playoff on the word of, you know, your nutrients. Yeah, nutrients, which are ingredients uh, matched to your DNA. Mm. Um, so yeah, that'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah, so so it, it, it in fact is his. Uh, IP that I use in a clinical setting to to do, to deduce uh, hormone pathways and detox pathways and uh, you know the various uh, degrees of uh, meta- metabolism and how your body responds to diet and nutrition and uh, brain mood and behavior dysfunction. So, in my latest book, Brain Spanners, I actually have a whole chapter uh, where I interviewed him. Uh, on this topic. So brilliant. Yeah, that, I'm going to listen in on that one for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited about it. Now you've, you've made me even more excited. But it's funny because I did get my results. Um, but honestly, I think it's one thing to get these kind of results, but you need somebody to to actually read them for you. And so uh, to have him on the on the episode is just going to be absolutely fantastic. And and that's, by the way, for people wondering, well, who we're using, we, it's called The DNA Company. Um, you can look them up, uh, thednacompany.com. Is, uh, Laura's, Laura did hers a, a couple of months ago, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do mine and actually – see how accurate was I doing the right thing by being a professional triathlete all my life or, you know, I don't know. I just thought it'd be an interesting way to dissect my DNA and and we can kind of hear what that's like. Um, But yeah, I'm excited about that. Now I know I've taken a lot of your time, but I've just got a couple of other quick things I'd love to chat to you about because again, you're just a wealth of knowledge. Um, Environmental toxins. Laura and I have really started to try and do better, especially since we have kids. Um, we have a two and a half year old and a six month old now, and so we're trying to do better with whether that's chemicals uh, in the kitchen and or you know what we're using for shaving creams and soaps and toothpaste. So, and then we've even got a for Laura's birthday this year. I got a little EMF reader. Um, what when we're looking at looking after our house and our health with these environmental toxins. Are there certain things you would say to a, a client that you've got to do immediately above all else? Uh, above all else is, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I would say, uh, you know, there, there could, we could populate a laundry list of, you know, key <laughs> items to do. But I think first thing is not to be hyperzealous. I don't, I don't, I think that's. <laughs> You're talking, all our listeners are type A athletes. Yeah, I, don't, well, I don't think there's any of them. <laughs> they, could do, they could do well with, you know, calming down sometimes. <laughs> that's the very point. I mean, that, that's yeah, yeah. one of the biggest impetuses to remain engaged in fight or flight. So it's not to, it's not to, it's not to be um, passive either about these, uh, you know, important things to consider. Um, but it's, uh, Dr. Magda Havis is, uh, you know, she's a PhD and a doctoral candidate or sorry, a doctor, a doctor, a PhD out of, uh, women's college hospital here in Toronto within the university health network. I like to follow her and the work of Dr. Deborah Davis, you know, uh, along the lines of EMF. Um, I'll tell you where we've gone and this sounds, uh, extremist, um, but but it also paints the picture and and, and the logic by uh, for which we took action. So um, back about ten years ago, my wife um, 
was starting to display these unusual symptoms of uh, headache, acute onset, and also uh, biliary sort of colic, and uh, just sort of strange and, and also quite acute um, uh, response. But it seemed that we'd worked it out that it only ever happened when she was in the kitchen. And I thought that was initially an excuse for her to get out of the kitchen and not cook. <laughs> as much as I love to cook, you know, I, I thought, what, what is she up to here? But it didn't happen in other areas of the house. Turns out that... Um, so her good friend's uh, her good friend's sister's husband worked in the military in bomb detection, and he had this you know fifty thousand dollar EMF detector because that's how you set off uh, bombs in uh, in the field. Apparently, is uh, is using uh, Wi Fi, mm-hmm. and we asked uh, because of a deducement I won't even get into, but we asked if he would come over and uh, just check out our house, you know, because I'm not going to use a dowsing rod or some nonsense to do this. I want you know real actual proven technology. So he comes over um, and he looks all over the house and we end up in the living. We didn't give him any semblance as to why we're doing this or where we thought maybe there'd be some increased uh, signals. Lo and behold, he had this, we back onto a pond, which backs onto a uh, um, a golf course. And he had this device aimed outside uh, in that direction. And all of a sudden it went bonkers, just went berserk. It was like, he said, what the heck is this? We got in the car, went onto the golf course. Turns out that one of our major telecom um, uh, companies had put in, rented the, some land off the golf course, long story short, put in uh, a relay or something of an amplifier. And since we don't have any homes that back out into the back of our property, this was just relaying directly through our home to the rest of the neighborhood. Mm. So uh, long story short, um, I actually painted, I repainted my entire house, took the whole family uh, out um, for a couple of weeks on vacation, uh, had the home repainted with this uh, EMF blocking uh, titanium uh, solution with nickel cadmium in its black paint. Uh, and then, of course, painted over that with some uh, appealing uh, finish coat. <laughs> but uh, that blocked uh, that blocked uh, the EMF, of course, with the appropriate um, wow. furnishings and, and the... Uh, and the window um, coverings. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, if she watches her exposure. So here's my point. I'm not electromagnetic se- uh, sensitive. My wife is. is that and, right? Yeah. 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 So, so is that in our DNA or is that just uh, chemical that, makeup? Yeah, that's, you know, so we, I haven't, so again, this is the, you know, some of the work of Dr. Deborah Davis, you know, looking at individuals, um, you know, she'll literally, you know, multiple end of one over time, put them into, you know, this experimental environment uh, leave the environment they don't know, but she'll flip the switch on and off for standard, you know, three, uh, two and a half or three G up to five G, and and expose them, and she has biophysiologic feedback, and it's blinded again, end of one over time, but she's coming up with some really interesting results, mm-hmm. and so I think everyone's individual. Some people, I th- I call this the human health threshold, mm-hmm. where I think there's multiple things that are going on in any given individual once you've reached that threshold and we're supposed to be able to manage stress and we're supposed to be able to manage ethereal toxins in our environment like you know we're still dealing with remnants of ddt in the 70s still prolific you know throughout our food chain you know uh, you know dioxins and furans and heavy metals in our waterway i mean look we're but you know and by the way another reason to take that glytine right the continual g that helps detox all of these things but once we've reached our threshold that is the ability to manage uh, all things, you know, toxic, um, you know, all things, you know, you know, metabolic and, and uh, even uh, physiologic and uh, psychologic. If we if we're if we're at our human health threshold, some people have a boiling point of 100 degrees Celsius and other people uh, have a boiling point of 83 degrees. Who knows? But you figure that out. Any additional thing that pushes you over your personal threshold, you're going to become symptomatic. 
That's it. Bottom line. So now as a clinician, my job is to decide and help you kind of as a medical sleuth investigator, what are those contributing factors that contribute at the highest percentage? For some folks, turns out that EMF is that contributing factor. For others, it's you know viral, or for, and yet others, it's hormonal. But if we can figure that out and get you, if your if your threshold is one hundred and ten, uh, and we kind of figure that out, um, so better than average, and and yet you know um, Epstein Barr virus that you got when you were twelve accounts for seventy percent of that. Well, if we remove that viral load and that reactivation uh, of the virus. <laughs> You're only dealing with a 30, 40 percent, you know, uh, a state that, you know, you've you've got a buffer zone, right? That's what I'm getting at, that buffer. And so you're healthy. You know, that's, that's, and and so I, and then that comes back to endurance athletes. I mean, some, you know, this is too much stress for their bodies to handle, but they've come to realize how to take their bodies out of stress and do what they need to do. Others are still seeking yet other things like glycine, uh, continual G to help them to remain under threshold. Because once they're at threshold, then I'll tell you, whatever they're genetically uh, susceptible to um, is often going to peak its ugly head. That's fantastic. You know what's interesting about all of that is when you're talking about the EMFs and things is is my wife, Laura, who we've mentioned many times, but she seems like she is affected. She gets the headaches and all sorts of things. And so that was the one reason with a lot of these things, they're kind of led by my wife, a bit like it sounds like you were with yours um, in terms of she'll say, I've got these headaches or I've got this and this. And so we've become you know, more aware of what the EMFs are around the house. And actually the only thing that really blew off the scale was if you turned on the microwave in the kitchen. Mm. People do not stand near a microwave when it's running. Sure. Like that was the one. Especially older ones, yeah. Anything that's five years or older, it's leaking for sure. It was amazing. So that was the only one that really took our thing. And then we put a, you know, we we got rid of the smart meter um, and did a couple of the basic things that, yeah, you don't want to sleep next to your phone that's on. You want an airplane yeah. mode. You definitely don't want your router. And, you know, people should be turning it off anyways, no matter where it is in the house. Yeah. You don't we want turn your our router. Wi-Fi off every night now. Yeah. And, and it's funny, a lot of this stuff, when Laura started doing it, I'm like, ah, oh, stop being such a hippie. You know, it's <laughs> like, ah, and then all of a sudden you start doing a bit more reading and you're like, actually, it's not that hard to do, one. And two, actually, I think she's onto something, you know. So it's well, look, we're bioelectric beings, aren't we? Right. I yeah, mean, we're not yeah. just a we're not just a sack of uh, chemical. Uh, we're bioelectric, and that's how the brain and nervous system works. So it depolarizes using frequencies and electricity that come in very similar ranges to EMFs mm. and Wi-Fi's. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd encourage your listeners to take a look at the work of uh, uh, Dr. Deborah Davis um, and uh, Dr. Magda Havis. Because um, they're they're leading this in North America, in my opinion. Mm. I have two things before I want to let you go. Um, one is a very selfish ask, and the second is I want you to tell me a bit more about your philanthropy. But before we talk about the philanthropy, I had braces on for a couple of years, um, and now I'm wearing plastic retainers during the night for a few hours. What are your thoughts on having plastic in your mouth? Is that something that I should be? definitely not doing i mean you talked about maybe yeah. we all react differently to things but sure now these are retainers as in retaining the dental uh work yes that's done, or they're yes. not for bruxing okay i have a bit of a concern with bruxing um in, you know retainers because this is you know creating a uh, physiological advantage to uh your 
TMJ, um, you know, and some people that grind their teeth. And that's, you know, your, your, your jaw is strong. You know? So sloughing this, these plasticizers and other chemicals off uh, every night, all night, probably not a great thing. Um, I would say it as a huge, so you'll learn this from Dr. Muhammad soon enough about your genetic susceptibility to detox and how, you know, phase one and phase two, um, uh, you're able to uh, throw away essentially these things that you're contending with, you know, th- these plastics and xenoestrogens ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, I don't have much of a concern if they're just sitting there relatively inert. Uh, certainly the materials that are being used this day and age are not, you know, the, of the soft plastics, you know, that we had concerns about the BPAs and all that they've come to learn. Not to, not, not to say that other things don't have other uh, problems, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're an optimal detoxifier, you have no problems with methylation uh, or environmental toxins. And, and Dr. Muhammad will tell you this again, uh, the methylation pathway is probably uh, pretty important to acknowledge in this particular uh, ask as well. Um, I wouldn't be concerned, you mm. know. Um, well, that's a question I should be making sure that I run by with. Yeah, with, how good uh, of a detoxifier are you? And, yeah, and how, yeah. how good does your methylation pathway look? And, you know, if you were, you know, again, I think guys that have, you know, this the pathway, uh, you know, the, the, the hormonal pathway that supports evidence of them being an estrogen dominant male have a lot more to worry about when it comes to exposures to xenobiotics, which ultimately ramp up uh, estrogen expression uh, in the male body. So that's a whole conversation for you to be had uh, with Dr. Muhammad, but um, I'm not concerned. I'd be more concerned about the amount of uh, xenoestrogens you might be getting out of unfiltered water. I mean, I'd I'd sooner, you know, probably encourage you to put a reverse osmosis unit on your house than I would try to you know, uh, get a zero plastic containing mouth implant. Is that right? And what about if you're just buying your bottled water, you know, the big Zephyl type bottles and things, is that better or you still think reverse osmosis? Yeah, I still think RO. I think RO, especially in an individual who's got their diet in check, you don't, you're not getting organic uh, minerals from water anyway. No. Certainly not at any levels your body needs. Um, you'd have to drink a few Olympic swimming pools full to get, you know, the amount of organic calcium that your diet requires. So it's coming from your diet. You're getting enough, you know, in supplement form uh, on top of that. So you're not missing anything from RO. And uh, number one rule about detoxification is to avoid the toxic exposure when possible in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. So reverse osmosis, everybody listening. Okay, before I let you go, mate, I've kept you a long time, but I want to know about your philanthropy because you've done some, you mentioned some of the places that you've been, but I think when you're there, you do some of these epic bikes and runs and everything and, you, and you, you're working for a number of charities. Yeah, well, I like to donate back to uh, sick kids. And again, I'm very proud of the University Health Network that we have here in Toronto. It's uh, one of the best Um you know, in North America, one of the best in the world, sick kids, kids are flown in from all over the place. Um, and, um, I mentioned the coastal challenge I did, uh, you know, I've cycled, you know, 500 kilometers across Cuba over four days, um, you know, raced hundred kilometer nonstop over 14 hours. Um, and that was to raise money for Oxfam in that case, but, uh, regularly compete in marathons, half marathons, uh, now my favorite's been more of the 10 K distance, but, um, you know, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Every time I do something like this, there's always a, a media uh, tie in. And, and then with that, I, uh, mentioned the, uh, philanthropic, um, uh, um, uh, in this case, uh, sick kids, you know, typically, uh, uh, angle and, uh, do as best as I can to raise. Yeah. I mean, m- you know, myself and my, my colleagues together, we've done, uh, over a million and a half dollars over the years which is uh, pretty- Wow, congrats. Fantastic, yeah, mate. You. Good on you. And uh, 
Look, I just think anybody that wants to be able to follow you or get in touch with you, um, what's the best way? I'll, I'll put all of this in show notes again, but uh, what's the best way? Sure. I'd love them to check out my latest initiative, uh, which is Brain Spanners. And so it's at brainspanners.com. So where, you know, uh, you mentioned at the very top, I believe, the notion of health span being a one-up on lifespan, which is obviously how many years we'll clock on the planet. But health span is how many years we'll live in optimal health, right? But we don't often think about the brain. And um, you can live in pretty decent physical health, but maybe experience the last 10 years of your life in cognitive decline. So brain spanners is all about living your longest, best life, lending a lot of uh, what I've come to learn from the blue zones and centenarians, people that live beyond 100, um, but living your best life with full uh, and optimal cognitive faculty. And uh, so that's my that's my latest book, uh, Brain Spanners. Um, that's good. Yeah. Otherwise, wild on health and you can get a whole... Mm. Uh, half a million pages of free information on uh, nutrition and supplements and all kinds of other stuff at uh, wild w y l d e on yep. health yeah yep i'll put that in there and what about any social media do you are you on that pretty much uh, at wild on health for most uh okay. most, yeah instagram and and twitter and then it's bryce wild at facebook but hey, i love answering questions too so if any of your viewers feel uh, in, you know that they want to drop me a, a question on social media i'm definitely happy to uh, to engage Oh, you're the best, mate. This has been absolutely fantastic. My brain is completely lit up right now. And I have two pages of notes here. Normally, I don't finish with so many. I'm scribbling the whole time you're writing there. Just so much uh, knowledge. Obviously, I'm going to re-listen to this one several times. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, I thank everybody for listening. Uh, this has just been absolutely extraordinary. So thanks, mate. Oh, hey, thanks so much, Greg. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And again, um, been wonderful chatting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, stay on the line and um, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.